0: guys, and welcome to episode 16 of the Average Joe Films podcast, and let's just jump right into it for today. I didn't actually watch that many films this week. This is the least I've ever done on the podcast. But um, I'm planning to go through them, I hope, in more depth than usual, I guess. Um, but I do have some news I want to discuss and compare, and that's probably the main hook of this episode today. And that is the um, controversy surrounding The Witcher TV series and the controversy surrounding um the little mermaid. Um, and you could probably imagine why. So, bit of background. The Witcher is um it's a book first and foremost by um Andrzej Sapkowski, which is a who is rather um a Polish author. Um and it's based quite heavily on Polish folklore. Um it eventually became a very much beloved game series, a game series which I hold very dearly beloved. I'm currently playing The Witcher 3 again now for like the fifth time. Um, and Netflix announced a series of it. I think it was two years ago. Um, um, fans were campaigning quite heavily for Mads Mikkelsen to take the role of Geralt. I would have been all for that. And the first controversy started when Henry Cavill was given the role of Geralt and people weren't very happy. Um, people were less happy when they also revealed Henry Cavill in costume for the first time because his white wig looked ridiculous. Um, And it even got so bad in terms of casting decisions that the showrunner had to boycott Twitter and most of social media, I think, back in September because of the backlash he was receiving over the casting (laughs) for the um, Netflix TV series. Because apparently they were looking for someone of African descent to play Siri, and fans weren't happy about this, and... Here's my standpoint on it. I'm all for inclusion and ethnic diversity and casting and all of that jazz because it's 2019 and it's about time. Um, But I do prefer it when it makes more sense. In the case of The Witcher, I'm probably more on the side of we should be sticking to the descriptions of characters in the book rather than changing things up and bring them into the modern age. Especially because of how well the games have displayed this wonderful and brutal worlds to us um it's not so so much with characters like Siri or Yennefer or Triss to those that don't know look them up (laughs) um but for me it's more with certain characters who are involved in the aristocracy of this world because in the world of the Witcher especially there's this um race of people called the Nilfgaardians who are typically very high class very aristocratic very white very racist in every kind of way and very classist and for me in a medieval world with obviously the fantasy elements of monsters in there it just makes sense for those people to be white people because let's face it if there's been anyone throughout history who's been tyrannical and aristocratic white people usually fit the bill I mean I'm white too I have no problem saying that I guess but yeah and Then if you're getting people who are ethnically diverse and actually not from the same background to play multiple of these characters involved in these ranks, it takes away from it for me because it just doesn't make sense. You know, like, fair enough. If you want to um, have like the ragtag of people that Geralt runs around with in the show and you want to make them ethnically inclusive, go ahead because he meets a lot of ragtag people throughout this Wonderful world and why shouldn't there be people of African descent or of Asian descent because this is a giant fantasy world. It's just when it, like, it goes against the actual characters, I have a problem with it, you know? And now I'm going to compare this to The Little Mermaid right here because the controversy around this is... Halle Bailey has officially been cast as Ariel in the live-action remake from Disney and a lot of people are very upset about this because Halle Bailey is African-American now this might sound hypocritical of me to say because of what I just said about the Witcher but I don't care about this because you know what mermaids are mythological creatures and if they want to have them (laughs) African-American go ahead you know because they're mythical they don't exist and there is nothing really that ever states that Ariel had to be white You know, she was just displayed that way in the cartoon, I think it was from the 1980s. Um, I know people are going to say it's based on a Danish story, and Denmark is predominantly a white place. Um, But I think there's a lot more freedom in this one to play around with the casting. Because, like, to take it back to my comparison with The Witcher, I had problems with Nilfgaardians and people in the classist aristocratic side being cast in as like with ethnic minorities because that just doesn't make sense because if we were going to live in a fantasy world like that they'd probably be white anyway and it just makes them i guess this is i hope this isn't racist it makes them more evil of their white. i guess <laughs> god um but yeah in the case of little mermaid it doesn't bother me as long as they make it make sense you know and to lead back onto this in one of the little mermaid cartoons There was an African-American mermaid. You know? (laughs) So I don't see why people are getting so annoyed about this and they're saying they're going to boycott the film. Um, It's probably getting a lot of attention just because it's Disney. And Disney tend to be somewhat on the nose about their inclusion when they cast someone. But, you know, I mean, I just think people... It's mainly the incels that are being like up in arms about all of this. Who cares? It's a mermaid. Cast whoever you want. Um, Just as long as it makes sense. Just please make it make sense, that's all I ask. Um, My last bit of news I do want to talk about, again involving Disney, is yesterday the trailer for the live-action Mulan dropped. And I was dreading this, but I have to say after the trailer, not bad, Disney. You've almost won me over. Specifically, because this looks like a Zhang Yimou film. It looks like a classic Chinese epic, and that's what I want a live-action Mulan to be. My only complaint, and my friend pointed out yesterday, because I didn't even realize, no Mushu. Where is he? Don't make him stupid. Please, Disney. This could actually be a good, different, like, relevant-to-exist live-action (laughs) film that you're actually doing. So please, make it happen. And with that, I do want to end up by saying, please don't think I'm racist in any way. I am trying to take a really neutral standpoint of things and just give my clear opinion. Um, Again, all for inclusion, just hopefully it makes sense. You know, I am not. I don't care about inclusion for inclusion's sake. I want it to actually make sense and actually add to the story and add to the ethnic minorities that play certain characters. You know, films for everyone. Films should always be for everyone, and that's how I want it to be. Moving on to the films I saw this week, there are only three of them. And the first one is Good Night Mummy from 2014, directed by Veronica France and Severin Fiala. Now, this has been one on my list for a little while. I'd heard it's very dark. And I thought to myself last Monday, hey, you know what? I feel like being sad. Let's watch something really dark. And anyway, the plot goes as follows. Twin boys who do everything together, from collecting beetles to feeding stray cats, welcome their mother home after her reconstructive surgery. But with her face wrapped in bandages and her demeanor distant, they grow suspicious of her identity. So, we have this nice little setup. It's quite a simple... Set up in its scope and its setting because the main focus here is on the two twin brothers, and the film is mainly set in and around this secluded, really beautiful house that they live in. Like, whatever this mother's job was before she got the reconstructive surgery, wow, this place is gorgeous! Like, um, and anyway, despite the simple setup, there is some really, really good technical prowess on show. Like, it's really a nice little exercise on less is more because they don't have these big extravagant like set pieces and stuff, and like it's just it mainly all takes place in the house. very little of the film takes place outside it, and there is some wonderful camera direction in this film. I was really, really like just gawping at like most of it to be honest um but definitely the best thing about the film is the way the events of the film unfold. It's only about an hour and a half long, it's not too long um but it starts with this pretty slow very deliberate pace but it keeps building and it builds and i mean to me to a truly satisfying and very like surprising end honestly i really didn't expect it to go the way that it did and it certainly goes places um speak about the two young boys they are great in this and they carry the majority of the film on their shoulders the mother doesn't have too too much to do until probably about the last third but i mean these boys are great and they do a lot more than just like talking their interactions are so real obviously they are actually brothers and that obviously helps with their chemistry of course um but yeah it's dark it really goes places and it's definitely not for the squeamish but it turned out to be exactly what i wanted last monday and i really really enjoyed it in the end i was really surprised and it was just i don't want to say good fun because that's the wrong word to use here but i mean it was really satisfying just like Good old house horror, you know? Anyway, moving on to the second film. Um, this is one I had watched... Christ, about 10 years ago, I think. But yeah, this is Chopper from the year 2000, directed by Andrew Dominic. And this is the intense story of Mark Chopper Reed, a legendary criminal who wrote his autobiography while serving a jail sentence. And this is starring Eric Banner in definitely his best role ever. <laughs> I mean, it's just so... So good. And to speak about how I watched this, I was invited by a friend to another friend to this big property he has out in the fields in Malta. And he set up this huge projector screen. And it was outdoors. It was just a beautiful location, beautiful property. And it was a very unique viewing experience that I really, really, really want to do again. (laughs) And it was a really good place to watch this film. And to get to the film, it is one... Obviously, it's a biopic. It is accused of being quite unfaithful to actual events but i think andrew dominic's duty in this or not really his duty his goal was to make this a testament to the absolute character that mark chopper reed was and in that respect i think it's fucking perfect (laughs) to be honest um to say a bit about chopper he was definitely an evil man definitely very twisted but i honestly can't deny his charisma like i've gone and watched old interviews with him And he's just someone... He demands the camera to be on him. He demands its attention. And it seems like that's what he really wanted. Like, he kind of wanted to build his own celebrity. And he was known for being a bullshit artist. And that kind of plays into the film. The film, like, outlines this because Chopper repeats his own words of don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) And, like, that's a really cool thing that I think Andrew Dominic has decided to do because he does not let the truth get in the way of the good story. And the name of the game here with the film is Entertainment Value and Style, and it just has it in spades. I mean, it's perfectly paced. There's a really cool scene involving cocaine. A really, really cool scene involving cocaine. Like, if you guys thought The Wolf of Wall Street was cool the way it handled cocaine, this is something else. (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, it's a really unusual biopic because... Others probably would have sought to tell the story of Chopper Reed in a much more dramatic fashion. They probably showed like each crime and like the hearings were very like, predictable nonsense. But here, Andrew Dominic is really embracing, as I said, the words of not letting truth ruin a good story. He's telling the good story that probably Chopper would have told himself. And that's why I think it's a really, really good portrait of this absolute character. And speak about the character and the actor that plays him Eric Banner, where have you been since the year 2000? You've had some decent roles since then, but this is absolutely like electric. He eats up every bit of the screen he's got. He spits it out like it's tobacco, and then he picks it up and eats it again. Like he just like embodies the real life chopper and it's just incredible to see I really wish he'd get another role like this because it was really satisfying to watch. Um, I think some people will cry that the film is a glorification of a very twisted man but I don't think it really is. I I don't believe that for a second. I mean, the film definitely doesn't shy away from the ugliness of his deeds and even the bullshit he apparently spread. And I think it has quite a lot to say about the loneliness and the psyche of this very twisted man who was an absolute character. Um, Final words, I guess. It's a really unique biopic. It's a really stylish one. It's a lot of fun. It's really funny. And I really love it. And that's Chopper, year 2000. Now, this is going to be a tough one for me, because this is Toy Story 4 from 2019, directed by Josh Cooley. Now, a little bit on Toy Story. I was born in 1994. Toy Story is one of the first films I had ever seen. I love the trilogy dearly. I can't decide which one is my favorite, even though it's probably number one. (laughs) Um, And when this was first announced, I didn't want it at all. Like, not for a second. I thought Toy Story 3 was such a perfect end to all of it. You know? Not to spoil any of that, but it was it was perfect the way they ended that. And now, I think nine years later it is, that we've got another one. And anyway, I'm just going to get straight to the plot. So, Woody, Buzz Lightyear, and the rest of the gang embark on a road trip with Bonnie and a new toy named Forky. The adventurous journey turns into an unexpected reunion as as Woody's slight detour leads him to his long lost friend Bo Peep. As Woody and Bo discuss the old days, they soon start to realize that they're worlds apart when it comes to what they want from life as a toy. Okay. This has been getting a lot of hype. It's been getting five star reviews left, right and center. It's been making a lot of money and I'm going to say from now, (coughs) excuse me, it's definitely good. It's not great. (laughs) i went to see this with my friend alan who you've heard on the podcast before and he has deemed it the most okay thing pixar has ever done i think it's a little bit better than okay but it's nowhere near as good as people are making it out to be i mean it is delightful and it's wonderful at the same time but in the grand scheme of things this is just an epilogue you know this could have been a straight to blu-ray or a straight to tv thing and it would have been fine. I don't think it needed to be a film. Um, I'm going to start going through positives. Because people are going to think I'm fucking trashing Toy Story right here. But I'm not. Positives. It's really, really funny. It's probably funnier than Toy Story 3 and 2 combined. I was laughing a lot in this film. Right? But that's not all I want from Toy Story. I want the emotional connection. And emotions hit Viva Pitch in Toy Story 3. So this is always going to be tough to beat. And there is a certain moment in this film where I think they tried to reach for that kind of emotion but they pull this really weird maneuver with the characters and it just doesn't hit that like right note of emotion that I wanted from the film that I wanted it to have and it just feels unnecessary and tonally it's bizarre compared to the other three films it just it doesn't fit with the story as I said it's basically just a complete epilogue of what happened after Toy Story 3 that we didn't really need to know that much And I don't know I feel not torn by it I don't feel betrayed I just keep thinking to myself Why did they go and do it? And obviously the answer is probably money Um, But yeah It's a really tough one for me As I said it's definitely good And you could definitely go and you could watch it And you could enjoy it A lot of people are going to think this is a really 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 good film But I don't think it is It just didn't hit the right notes for me Overall Toy Story Four is good. It's not great, and with that we come to the end of the podcast. Um, I am definitely going to watch more films this week. You can expect at least four films from me (laughs) over on the next episode. Um, I'm possibly doing another guest feature on a film I will not reveal yet, but hopefully a special episode coming soon. In case you guys are looking forward to more of those, but I mean, until those things come around, I've been your average Joe. See you soon.